Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. Well, I want to offer my greetings along with uh, Peter, who was up here earlier. Um, Peter, I realized I heckled you through the entire announcement loop, and um, I, that was not my intent, but thanks for, um, thanks for listening to the guy, uh, behind, or not listening, maybe, to the guy behind you who was uh, offering all of his comments. Uh, for those of you who are visitors today, my name is Cliff Purcell. I'm one of the pastors here at First Naz, and I'm really grateful that you've joined us today for worship and uh, we, we understand there's uh, close to 100 churches here in the valley, and we're grateful that you chose to be here with us today. I'll be in the foyer immediately following the service today. If you'd like to meet me, come out there. I'd love to meet you. If you have any questions about the church or today's service, uh, I'd be more than glad to try to answer those for you as well. Uh, disciples uh, of Jesus are people who connect with God and with others who grow up in their faith intentionally, and who embark upon life a little bit differently than everybody else in this world. Christian disciples look at life as service. Service is the way that we do life in this world because we've come to understand that it is the pathway to that deep sense of fulfillment, that full life that Jesus promised to all of the people who would follow him. So over the last few weeks, we've been talking about what it takes to get connected with God and and how to strengthen that connection. If you you missed those things, you can listen to the teaching on the firstnaz.com website. Click on the media tab. You can look up, uh, if you're podcast people, you can look up lessons from First Naz on iTunes and you'll find the podcast there. Last week, this week, and again next week, we're going to talk about the grow part of that thing Todd was talking to us. Connect, grow, serve. We're, We're learning about how it is that we can grow up in our faith. Last week, we talked about kind of some, some baby steps, some, some beginner steps for people who are just getting started in the faith. And today and next week, uh, we're going to bump it up a notch. The truth is that the, the pool is only shallow on one end. That's true at the city park, and it's also true in the Christian faith. It's only shallow on one end. That's the end where you're supposed to get in, and it's a steady dive deeper and deeper into relationship with God from there. And so it takes a whole different skill set to be able to navigate that end of the pool, both in the water and also in this faith. And so this week and next, we're going to talk about what it takes to bump your game up a notch when it comes to growing. Because some of the things that you did as brand new believers in Christ, they'll serve you well for years. But there are also some things that uh, brand new folks in the faith can't do because they don't have enough faith yet because they haven't applied enough discipline yet. And we're going to talk a little bit today and next week about next steps, further steps, maybe some more advanced steps in how to grow in your faith. Uh, This way of life that we're going to, to talk about, growing in our faith, comes with a great benefit or reward that I think would interest most people, and it's this. You can be free, say the word with me, free, free. You can be free from spiritual worry or anxiety. Now, I understand I'm promising a lot right now, and the, uh, the worst business model in the world, worst business plan in the world is to over-promise and under-deliver. So I'm promising big today that the scriptures hold out this possibility for the people of God who will go to the deep end of the pool with him. You can be free 
from spiritual worry or anxiety. Do you ever worry about what God thinks of you? When you lay your head on your pillow at night, do you wonder a little bit about God's analysis of your day? When you wonder about how God's thinking about you, does it ever descend into worry and fear? You're reflecting on your actions, your attitudes, your words from the the past day. Do you sometimes think God must be awfully disappointed or angry? Does that sometimes spiral from there to the place that you wonder if you're really, really a Christian? Or if you were to die that night and meet your creator, what he might say to you about your eternal destiny? Lots of people ask about, wonder about, and worry about these very questions. And the passage that I'm going to work from today can help you learn how to grow in your faith and also to help you experience peace and confidence before God instead of worry and shame. I think anyone who believes in God wants these things. As we read, we're going to read a passage of scripture together. I want you to keep in mind that the church to which Paul was writing was this multicultural group. Now, just look around here, okay? Just turn and look at the people next to you. You can swivel a little bit, look at the people behind you. This is not what I mean by multicultural, okay? Uh, I looked at the census. The census says that Lewis and Idaho, 92.5% white. Okay, 5.5% Native American and everybody else either owns an ethnic restaurant or goes to the college. That's the way we make up the rest of the percentage. Okay, so this is not what I meant by multicultural when I said that the group to whom Paul was, was writing was multicultural. No, they, they had native Turks. He was living in, uh, or writing to a group of people who are living in what is modern-day Turkey. There were native Turks, but the area that they lived had also become quite prosperous through trade in agriculture, through agriculture and trade. And because of that, people had, become, had started flocking there. There were also some, some mineral springs nearby that were supposed to have magical healing powers, and people in the ancient world flocked there. So they had people from literally all over the Roman Empire. On top of that, one of the Roman emperors had uh, forced about 2,000 Jewish men and their families to uproot and plant right there in Colossae. And over the course of a couple of hundred years, they grew and prospered and multiplied. And by the time Paul wrote his letter, there was a very strong Jewish contingent there too, about 10,000 Jewish men and their families. So as you can see, everybody already agreed about everything, and Paul just had to write a few do's and don'ts. Look, if the 92.5% white in this valley can't get along on things like politics and religion, what do you think were the chances of the people in Colossae? They had different deeply held beliefs and values and lifestyles, and, and each one of those groups thought that they were the right one and that the other groups had gotten it wrong and should humble themselves and just do it our way. So there was tension, and and because none of the groups had left behind some of their pre-Christian beliefs, that had produced an awful lot of confusion in the church and some false teaching about who Jesus really is and how people should live as his disciples. They were also, because of it, experiencing spiritual anxiety because they didn't know if what they believed was right and true. They believed in God and in his son Jesus, but they weren't so sure that God was pleased with how they lived their lives. So the Apostle Paul wrote them a letter. He addressed all of this in the passage that we're going to read today. 
I would invite you to take a look with me and stand with me, please, in honor of the reading of God's Word. So turn on the lights for us, please, Father. We humble ourselves. We're purposely getting teachable right now. We're not interested in arguing with you. We want to hear what you have to say. So speak to us, I pray, in Christ's name. Amen. Reading from a book in the New Testament, the second uh, part of the Bible, about the back one-third of it. It's a letter titled, The Epistle to the Colossians. Reading from chapter 1, beginning with verse 9, Paul writes these words. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, just as I did uh, last week when talking about first steps towards spiritual growth, today I want to take this passage and, and break it down in three ways. I want to identify first a goal that God has for his people, an action or two that we need to take in order to, to get the process started, and then how to measure that as life goes by, how we can take a look at our own lives and be able to tell whether it, spiritual growth, is happening how we'll be able to tell when we are actually growing up in our faith. So uh, if you take a look at this screen, you're going to see here for a minute a goal and then some things that you and I need to do and the results that we're going to try to measure. Now, here's the thing. When it comes to the measurement, measure your own life, not the people next to you. The worst kind of religion is the kind where everybody's pointing at everybody else. The thing that has run most North Americans off from the church is too many people looking at the person next to them and seeing how the scripture should apply to them. Pure and honest religion is when we humble ourselves before the Lord, say, show me where I'm wrong, teach me how to do it differently, and then give grace to the person next to us in the belief of two things. One, that they're fighting a hard battle that you know nothing about. And secondly, that God the Holy Spirit will be just as faithful to speak to their hearts as he is to yours. So let's talk about this goal first. We talked about it last week. God has this goal for us. His goal is that we grow up in our faith. And Paul put it this way in the letter to the Colossians. He thinks that people can grow up a lot to the place that we are actually living a life that is worthy of the Lord and pleasing to him. Now, how many people think, uh, have thought, say, five out of seven days this week when you laid your head on your pillow at night, I lived worthy of God today. What I did today, the actions, the attitudes, the way that I treated people, that's exactly what God deserved. Okay, yeah, me either. I didn't get there five out of seven. Four? Four out of seven? 
three. Did anybody one day this week lay your head on your pillow at night and say, I got it. I did it just exactly the way God would want me to. Hmm. And yet it is the express plan of God, his goal for our lives, that you and I can live in such a way that we know, first of all, what I did today was pleasing to him. It put a smile on his face. You ever seen a picture of, you've seen lots of pictures of Jesus, right? And you've seen lots of the Jesus movies, and it's usually a sad guy who looks anemic, right? My parents put this picture, I couldn't find it. My parents put this picture um, up in our house that, because they, they wanted to change the way that we viewed our relationship with God. So when you walked in the front door of our house, there was a family room right there, and centered above the sofa was this big painting of Jesus like this with this big, huge smile on his face. point I'm making is this. I think that God spends an awful lot of time, Jesus too, with smiles on their faces, and it's your fault. You just don't know it. You have lived in some ways that bring real pleasure to the heart of God. Not a God who's sitting up there going, "Mm, almost right, but that's a red check mark. Ah, close, but not close enough. I think God lives the majority of his life with a big smile on his face, and it's your fault. Because you have lived in ways that, that make him put the clipboard away. And he rejoices over the kind of people that you are and what he sees happening in your, in your hearts. Paul says that it's possible for people to not only live in ways that put a smile on God's face. Listen, let's be honest. My kids are like everybody else's kids. They have lived imperfectly. You know what? At day's end, I still smile, and I thank God for those kids. So most of us are thinking, yeah, 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 God's pleased with me in the sense of he knows I'm a screw-up, and it just doesn't bother him that much anymore. That's not what the Apostle Paul was saying. That's not what I'm trying to teach today, because Paul put these two phrases together. He said that you can live a life that's pleasing to the Lord, not with an asterisk, not wink, wink, nod, nod, a life that's pleasing to the Lord, that's worthy of the Lord. Most Christians that I know chafe under that idea and and push back from it because they say, we're not worthy. And, And you're, pastor, treading on thin ice because you're starting to talk like we've earned our salvation. Time out. Not what I said, not where I'm going. Salvation, forgiveness of our sins, new life, that happens by grace alone. None of us are good enough to earn that. None of us can be so good that we undo all the wrong that we've done previously. Salvation, a welcome into relationship with God, that happens because God's good, not because we are, right? Got that? Okay. What happens once we get into the relationship? We continue to live as habitual screw-ups with the patent approval of God? Or does God begin to do a work in us that changes us from the inside out? That's what Paul's talking about today. That God can go to work in your life in such a way that you're, you're revolutionized on the inside and sooner or later it works its way out through your through your words and through your attitudes, through your actions. Get this. It can make its way out through your eyes. Here's what I mean. You can the people of God by the help of God's Holy Spirit, can quit rolling their eyes at each other, right? I, you, you know what I'm talking about. You're going to your mom's house today. You've got all kinds of relatives there, and one of them is the one who won't be quiet about politics, and their politics are the opposite of yours. And because you love mama, you've decided not to have a fight today. So mm, you clamp your mouth shut, but it's the heavy sigh and the, oh, that, listen, With the help of God's Holy Spirit, 
it becomes possible for the things that God is doing in our hearts to make their ways even onto our faces where we begin to radiate hope and love and peace and patience, even toward the relatives. Somebody say amen to that because everybody needs to believe that. When you live a life of real peace with your family, when you get to work and find the ability to be patient with that boss of yours who never seems to get it, and you quit doing this, it's an indication that God's Holy Spirit has changed you and grown you up. And you, my friends, are living a life that is worthy of the Lord. You haven't earned your salvation. That was already given to you. But your life can be so transformed from the inside out that your actions, instead of necessitating a continual list of apologies to God, the actions of your life can become evidence of God. To the world around you, you can become the believable evidence that there's a God who is loving and patient and kind. And that kind of transformation is genuinely possible among the people of God who resign control of their wills to the leadership of God's Holy Spirit. Paul said you can live a life that's worthy of the Lord. Can you believe it? He said you can please him, actually be pleasing to him. Could it actually be true? Some groups say no. That all you can hope for, you're going to sin every day in word, thought, and deed, and all you can hope is that God continues to forgive you because Jesus' sacrifice was so immense. That is not what we believe. Nazarenes say that it's possible to live a life by the help of God's Holy Spirit that's pleasing to the Lord and worthy of him. How? That's the question, okay? If it's possible, how is the question, right? Paul addressed it in the passage that I just read. He said that you're going to need wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. You're going to need wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. And you get it because you know if you go back to work tomorrow with the same collection of knuckleheads and you have the same collection of wisdom that you ended the week with last Friday, it's going to be the same old week over and over again, right? Something has to change in the equation for the outcome to be different. What you need, my friends, in order for your life to be transformed is the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. How do you get it? How do you get the wisdom and the understanding that the Spirit gives? We'll talk about it here in just a moment. We're going to talk about some actions that we would take. But listen, Paul also said that he will not only give you enough wisdom and understanding that you're kind of, sort of, a little bit changed. He said that your actions could now take on a much stronger profile to the place that people can tell that you are strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might. And all means all. It's this funny little Greek word that means all. He said you can be strengthened with all power, the power of God himself. How much power? 
all the power according to his glorious might. So however strong it is, however mighty it is that you picture the God who created this world, who sustains it by his powerful word, who moves men like chess pieces down through time and uh, moves mountains for you and me. It's according to his glorious might, that much power that God gives you through his wisdom and understanding to change the way that you have been living. Okay, Cliff, I I, I want it. I believe it. I want it. Now tell me how to get it. Here's how it goes. You ready? I'm worried about how you're going to respond to this because it's stuff that I've told you before. But I, I read it and I studied it this week. You ready for it? Here's how it goes. You're going to have to ask him to fill you with knowledge of his will to give you wisdom and understanding. Here's what I think. In the ways that God's people do fall short of the the pleasing life, in the ways that we do fall short of the worthy of the Lord kind of living, you know what? You know why I think it is that we, we fall short there? The bulk of the time, I think it's because we've been presumptuous. We've just said, all right, I'll take another whack at it. Ah, I, I fell down. I fell. I'll try it again and again and again and again. All right, this time, God, uh, I, I apologize, and I'll promise. Biggest promise ever. Mean it this time, and we fail again. And the presumption is that if I just try harder, if I just have more willpower, if I just uh, adhere to a little more self-discipline, that somehow the next time I'm going to get it right. And then once I've gotten it right, I'll get it right for all the rest of my life. Listen, folks, when we talk about needing God, we're talking about not just needing him to do something to make it possible for us to be forgiven. We're talking about needing him every moment of the day. Otherwise, we will live like mere humans. You guys watch the news? Mere humans. That's what, that's what the newscast is filled with. I listened to the news yesterday on the radio, and they were talking about my home state, Missouri, where somebody left a loaded handgun with the safety off on the floor where an infant could get a hold of it, and she shot and killed herself. Mere humans. I started to, to listen to something on the news about politics, and then I just shut it off because I realized all they were going to tell me about was people living as mere humans, people who sometimes try to do better. Then there was part of the newscast that came on that was talking about war and another soldier coming home in a bag. Ample proof. There's plenty of people living as mere humans in this world. If you and I just take another whack at it, all we're going to do is live one more day like mere humans. The Christian religion is not simply worship forms and gatherings. We are a people who believe that if we ask repeatedly, God will daily come and take his place, not out there somewhere around us, but in us so that we begin to gain his mind, his wisdom, and his heart. And because we have been transformed in those ways, our decision-making will be different. You tell me, if you don't change your mind about anything today, how can you live any differently tomorrow? You can't. 
We are dependent upon God himself. And it's why Paul said, pray and ask that God will fill you, fill you with the knowledge of his will. How many times in your life have you said, God, I just need to know what you want me to do? What's your will in this matter? And then you ran on with your life. Still confused, still didn't know. Paul says, ask and keep asking. It's one of those verbs that means, you know, present continual kind of thing. Ask and keep asking that God will fill you with the knowledge of his will so the confusion begins to go away. Ask for his wisdom and his understanding. Here's the way that it goes in the practice of my, my pastoral work. I went to school, I went to college for, um, got, a, got a bachelor's in religion. I got a master's degree in religious education. I finished all that when I was 25. I moved to Connell, Washington. I, I set up all my books and my desk, and I sat down the first day and thought, oh no, I don't have the slightest idea what to do. So I pulled out a book, and I made up a lesson, and I, I taught it to some people. And I did that again the next week, and then I visited with some people, and and I went and hung out at the high school for a while. I was a youth pastor. And then I just kind of muddled through doing those things. And, and after a little while, um, some, somebody thought that one of those lessons was worthwhile. And they made their way into my office. And they said, Pastor, I need some advice. And uh, I learned something the very time, the, the first time that, that, that anyone came to me for advice as a pastor that has served me well to this day. I turned my back on them and closed the door very slowly and said, oh God, you're going to have to help me here. Because there was somebody who was like 50 and I was somebody who was 25 and I felt like I was pretending to be this guy who could advise people. And in a moment, a really honest moment, I realized, I don't have what it takes. I mean, at 25, I'm not the repository of all of the world's wisdom. I've lived 21 years since then, still not the repository of all the world's wisdom. And here's what I've determined. I'm not wise and neither are you. There's not a wise man or woman on this planet. God, however, is all wise and he gives his wisdom in the moment to those who seek it in the moment. You can pray all your life long. I'm convinced. God, make me wise today, and I don't know. You get what you get. But every time that you are in a spot where you have to make a decision, or especially when you get a chance to influence other people, if you will get past the business of being flattered for a moment, that people care what you think, and will pray the oh God prayer, please give me your wisdom, he'll do it. I've sat in my office countless times now and heard myself say things that I didn't know until I said them. Where did that come from? It was the wisdom of God that was given to me in the moment. You want your life to be changed? You want to grow up in your faith? It's going to take a daily and sometimes moment by moment prayer that you will be filled with the knowledge of God's will, that you'll be given wisdom and understanding about how to make decisions in your life and how to influence other people. Pray for growth. When was the last time that you just said to God, do whatever it takes to make me grow up? Now, listen, parents, I know a bunch of us have determined, I'll do whatever it takes to make my kids grow up. I'll take away all their fun stuff. I will make them eat their vegetables. I will watch while they brush their teeth. 
I will sit at their door after I put them to bed to make sure they're not playing games or watching videos. I know a bunch of us have said, I'm not here to be their best friend. I'm here to be their parent. And you know how we approach God? Give me all the candy. Make my life easy. Don't ever let me hurt. You know what God's done? He has pledged himself to do whatever it takes to make you grow up in your faith. If you'll invite him to. But God will let you be a fat, sassy, whiny baby for the rest of your life if you choose to approach life that way. If, however, you will ask him, would you please grow me up in my faith? God will say, sure, we can do that. And it doesn't, it's not unbroken, continual hardship and pain and suffering, no more than it is with raising kids. But God himself, who wants you, who has that goal for you to grow up in your faith, he's got a plan that will grow you up in your faith. But you're going to have to humble yourself enough to ask him for it. It means you've got to want to really grow up. Seeking prayers, I think, are not casual ones. Seeking prayers become themes that characterize our prayers because we don't really want to pray about anything else. There's this one thing that's most important to us for now. I need to grow up in whatever area of my life. I become preoccupied with that to the place that I'm going to trust God to supply all my financial needs and those things like Jesus promised. And, and I'm, I'm going to trust him to take care of the kids. And I'm, I'm going to trust him with my job. But there's this area in my life where I realize I'm the same man that I was 10 years ago. I'm the same woman that I was seven weeks ago. And I'm having the same conflicts with the same people. And I'm tired of it. And I want it to change. And so I become preoccupied with this one request. God, Change me. Grow me up in my faith. Seeking prayers are not casual ones. God, help me with this. God, be with me today. Hey, newsflash. God's with you, okay? He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. Don't have to pray the God be with me prayer. Get down to the real stuff of asking him to do the work in your life that grows you up in your faith. Seeking prayers are not casual ones. They become themes that characterize our prayers, that dominate our prayers, because we just don't, Find the time to pray for anything else until God does this one thing for us. To gain God's understanding on any given subject, listen, here's the hard part. I said that that today's steps of growing in the faith were going to be harder than last week's. Last week's was the beginner stuff. This week and next week is the more advanced stuff, the deeper end of the pool. Here we go. This is the dive off the deep end. To gain God's understanding on any given subject, you're going to have to be willing to let go of your own opinion in the matter. You want God's understanding? You got to let go of yours. If you have an opinion that is quite different from God's and you hold on to yours, God's wasted breath did whatever in this universe, and you go right back to the same kind of decision making that, well, has turned your life into what it is now. If you're pleased with that, roll with it. But to gain God's understanding on any given subject, you're going to have to be willing to let go of your understanding. But simply, you've got to become willing to change your mind. There was a man named Kenneth Grider. He was, uh, of his day, the, the greatest theologian in our movement. 
He was retired long before I ever got into academic circles preparing for ministry, but I, I heard the legends of Dr. Greider. And one day they invited him to come and speak in the, in the bachelor's program where, at Mid-American Nazarene University where I was attending. And this 80-some-year-old man came in with this little uh, portable lectern with a speaker out the front of it and one of those gooseneck microphones that goes every time you move it. And Greider put it on the desk in, in the room where he was lecturing, and he leaned on it like this and pulled the little gooseneck and this crackly mic down, and he just kind of growled the whole time that he spoke. I thought, why did anybody ever give this guy the time of day? Why did they want to listen to him? Until I started listening. And at 80, however many he was, He said, the reason that I'm here to speak to you today, the reason that I've been invited is because after 40 years of teaching in higher education, I have changed my mind. 40 years. He said he 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 had one regret from all of his 40 years of teaching, and it's that in this one area, he had changed his mind and now thought that he'd been teaching in error for 40 years. He had me. I was ready to listen. Because my experience working in the church with older people was they kept telling me how wrong I was and how the only thing that was right was what used to be. Except for a few people. And as I started reviewing in my head those folks that, that had been warm to me as a kid and, and as a teen, and as I was trying to learn how to do ministry to, to answer this call that God put on my life, there were people who lovingly disagreed with me and some who changed their minds not to agree with me, but they changed their minds. You know what that thing is called, the willingness to change your mind? Humility. It's all not the possibility that maybe I've been wrong. Maybe I've been wrong for a very long time. Just maybe. Can you offer God a just maybe today? And let him begin to speak to you about an area in your life where you haven't seen any growth or change. This is a difficult trial for human beings, regardless of our age. It takes humility. To gain God's understanding on life as a whole, however, There is no substitute for reading the scriptures methodically. I pray every single day when I get ready to pick up the phone to talk to somebody, when some counselee comes into my office, uh, when when I have to um, be on the scene in some, some crisis, I pray for God's wisdom in the moment. Do you know how he gives it most of the time? He reminds me of what I have read in the scriptures. And if I haven't read them, there's nothing for him to remind me of. I told you last week, I read Genesis to Revelation, then I go back to Genesis and I read to Revelation, and then I start over. I go to the beginning of the book and I read from Genesis to Revelation. And I'm going to do it a few times a year, every year for the rest of my life. I'll get through it dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of times. And over the years, some of that's going to stick. More and more as time goes by, it's going to stick so that in those moments when I need the wisdom of God, he's able to say, do you remember what you read yesterday morning? Remember the thing that you underlined yesterday afternoon? 
you know, I timed that so that you could remember it. But as, as life goes by, you're just going to find that there is no substitute for reading the scriptures methodically if you want to know the mind and heart of God on any given issue. I wish I could tell you all the shortcuts to becoming as wise as the people who have submitted themselves to the reading of the scriptures daily for 50 years, but you can't get there in 10 weeks. You can't pray some special prayer that, that whereby God decides to let you leapfrog over all of the years of discipline and hard work that it took for your grandparents to become godly. You know how to get there? Grind on it and let it grind on you. And over time, you'll be polished and shaped into godly men and women who know the heart and the mind of God. You know why we never have 13-year-old elders on the church board? You know where the word elder came from? It means older. And we started giving that title to people who weren't older, who somehow seemed to be because they had submitted themselves to the scriptures enough that it had informed their reasoning and their decision-making. And he said, the ones who act like those who have been shaped over time will be the ones that we give authority to in the church. There's no shortcuts. You just, you just get in there and you read and you read and you read. I was in a monastery years ago in, uh, in central Minnesota. And I walked into their library, one of the best libraries on the planet. And they had, in, you know, they've got these great old relics and um, the largest collection of monastic manuscripts in the world. I mean, it's, it's a place that makes ner- Bible nerds go nuts because it's awesome. And it's, it's, it seems to have an unlimited budget. The place is fantastically beautiful. And in construction paper cut out on the wall was a little thing like a, like a, a fourth grader could make that said it's not how many times you've been through the Bible, but how many times it's been through you. Yeah, the, the, the methodical reading of his word is one thing, but it's about opening ourselves up to it and letting it change us, seeking the change while we're doing the discipline. When again, God's understanding on life as a whole, there's no substitute for reading the scriptures methodically, but you can't just read them. You gotta open your hearts up. There are no shortcuts. Personal devotional life, it isn't about... God mesmerizing my emotions on any given day, making me feel awesome. It's about doing the spade work that turns into something in my life over the years, the training that develops my spirit. Spiritual growth in this area takes work ethic, not excuses. Here's, here's what it will look like. You'll, you'll see this uh, in, in your life when, when you're growing in this way. You'll see good works starting to play, take place. Well, I already see good works. Good. Then you see an indication that, that there's some spiritual growth happening in your life. But Paul was talking specifically about, about going out of our way to help people instead of doing only what's convenient for us. The word service simply means help people. Okay, so if you think, if anything that you're doing religiously that you call serving, if it doesn't help people, it's not serving. It might just be empty religion. But if what you do helps another human being, that's a good work, that's service. 
And once you start going out of your way to help people, instead of going out of your way to avoid the people who need help, that's spiritual growth. When you start finding that this meets a deep soulish need for me and produces happiness, instead of I got to protect my happiness by, by keeping all my stuff and my energy, not letting those other people who won't go get their own, when my heart becomes soft and pliable and finds its greatest joy in helping another person, that's, that's spiritual growth. What's it going to take to do that? You've got you to quit thinking like you always have and get the mind of the Spirit on this matter. You'll see, here's another one of those mile markers along the way. You'll be able to tell that you're growing in your faith if you're also growing in your knowledge of God. You will grow in your knowledge of God, coming to understand his character as a whole, instead of just understanding a few doctrinal statements about him. You'll begin to say, I, I, I don't just know about God, I, I know him. You'll find that the, the things that, that sometimes have seemed contradictory in terms of doctrine, they, they now kind of do this, and they fill out, God's character, just like the, just like they do in your life, the things that kind of sort of contradict each other, they're, they they create that dynamic tension that makes you uniquely you. You'll begin you'll begin to to understand that you do know God, not just know a few things they taught you in Sunday school about Him. Even more, you'll get to know His personality, like you get to know your spouse's personality or, or a friend's or your kid's. You'll get to know the personality of God. Uh, one of the ways that I, that I, I can recognize um, spiritual growth in folks is when they start to laugh as they read the Bible. When you first start reading it, it's scary and hard, and you think, why does anybody read that? And as time goes by, you get to understand that God has a sense of humor. And as you begin to laugh at some of the human follies in that book that you see reflected in the lives of other people, you'll be able to laugh some of that off and and understand more about the heart of this God. He seems to be able to be eternally patient with the church. The church is just knuckleheads unanimous. You know that, right? Okay. By the way, prayers to get A's on tests when you haven't studied are rarely answered with a yes. Neither is hoping for knowledge of God's will when you won't study the scriptures. You're not often going to get it. You'll also see, here's one of the mile markers, you'll be able to tell that spiritual growth is happening in your life. When you see yourself strengthened with all power, meaning this, you will, gain, you will gain greater endurance and patience in your life. People are going, man, it's about time for me to get some patience, but, okay, Christians, listen, quit saying this one thing that I'm going to say to you, okay, because you've said it to each other, don't pray for patience or God will give you reasons to need it. Listen. Life's going to give you plenty of reasons to need patience. Pray for patience so that you get some, so that you quit lashing out at one another. Instead, can extend the grace and the, and the peace of God to one another. You will know that you are growing in your faith when you have greater ability to endure hardship and when you are more patient with annoying human beings. 
and your prayers about endurance and patience will change to God, do whatever it takes for me to become more patient and enduring instead of praying, God, help me to lose all the reasons for needing patience. Finally, he said, Paul said, you'll be able to tell you're growing up in your faith when you become more joyful and give thanks. We can always tell when people change from whining, complaining, difficult, bitter people into these joyful, peaceful folks that light up the room. We can tell God's Holy Spirit's done something there. You'll become more thankful. You'll complain less. You will choose contentment and then experience it if you're growing in your faith. You remember what it was like being a child and and wishing that you were all grown up, little bitty kid wanting to be like all the adults? Do you remember how it it seemed to be taking forever for you to get there? Do you remember what what it took for you to actually become an adult? It took years. It took years of vegetables, it took years of school, it took years of parenting, it took years of effort, it took years of waiting, it took years of active pursuit of actual maturity. There's a parallel to that in our spiritual lives. Doesn't happen overnight, doesn't happen by some spiritual high moment, and it sure doesn't happen if we sit around waiting for it to happen. The good news is that it can happen a little bit more quickly if you pursue it. But you got to pursue it. In fact, there, there's no reason to have been a Christian for 5 or, or 10 or 15 years and still to be spiritually mature, immature. If, you're, if you've been walking with the Lord for 5, 10, 15 years and you are still spiritually immature, you know what you have? Excuses, and that's all. Because there's a way that's set forth in the Scriptures for us to become the men and God who the men and women of God who live lives that are pleasing to him and are worthy of us using his name a lot of growth can can happen in a matter of a handful of years of walking with Jesus if you actually put your boots on and go for a hike with him so here's how to get the ball rolling first of all sincere daily prayer for wisdom and understanding and maturity all three of those things Wisdom, understanding, and maturity. Go back and read first, uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14, our text for today, and pray for the things that you see in that, in that passage. Sincere daily prayer for wisdom, understanding, and maturity. Ask God to do what it takes to help you to grow up. It will take methodical reading of Scripture. Do that as a, 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 on, on your own. And do that in groups. You need both of those. Otherwise, it's just you and your bright ideas about what the Bible says. And you need some of the bright ideas of other people. Okay, just one real quick uh, pastoral moment. Everybody can learn from everybody in the body of Christ. Okay? Because here's the thing. You may have lots of education. You may have lots of years. But everybody has the Holy Spirit who has welcomed him into their lives, and therefore we can teach and shape one another. Therein lies the importance of being part of a group from the time you're this big till we put you in a box and plant you somewhere. One last thing. Here's how to get the ball rolling. Instead of waiting for the good works to show up, 
push. Push outside your comfort zone and, 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 and do some of those things that represent the mile markers. Start looking for opportunities to go out of your way to help others. It's instructive to your spirit. So last week, some first steps in the direction of growing up in our faith. This week, a little steeper hill. Next week, one more steep climb. And then we're going to move on to the business of, of talking about service and how it really, really can shape you to become a disciple of Jesus. Stand with me. Lord, we bow in your presence right now. I've, I bit off a great big chunk of scripture. It may have been too big to preach today because it felt like I was kind of running through it. But I was excited because I saw so many things that you've done in my life and a few more that, that you can still do. And, and so I'm going to take my place, not as pastor. I'm going to take my place as just a son of God alongside the other sons and daughters of God in this room today. And I'm going to ask you, Is there a specific area in my life where I need to grow up and you're ready to do something about it? As many of my brothers and sisters who are willing to pray that prayer today, we're going to listen for your voice for just a moment. Yes, Father, I hear you loud and clear. Let's go to work on that, you and me. Now, Lord, as we leave this place, we pray once again your blessings on our moms. And we pray that you'd continue to work in our lives in such a way that we can be a blessing and honor to them. Grow us up, Lord. God, thank you for, for being patient for all the time that we wasted not growing up. Grow us up. Make us like you. We pray in your holy name, Lord Jesus. God's people together said, amen. Grace and peace to you, friends. May you know the peace of God.